Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pulse Nines. This is the 83rd episode of a bi-weekly footballing discussion. I am your host, Zach Pensack, alongside my friend, Adam Goffin. Adam, how are we doing today? Footy, Zach. Na 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 na, Jordy's <laughs> footy. That was a dramatic pause. That was like, is, is there something wrong? Are you trying to signal for help right now? Uh, that well, was, that I, was want, I want to leave our listeners waiting there. So yeah, you and I have been talking sure. a little bit about the the history of that and uh, how special I, that chant chant was. I genuinely have watched Newcastle for almost 15 years now and i've never understood what they're saying when you just hear these like ah, ah, and i'm like eh, it's just a massive yawn of eighty-five thousand or fifty-eight thousand people and then the yell of jordy's <laughs> you just you just want to get involved though right tell me you know the song hey jude though yes i know the song hey jude Okay, no, you're like 50. I, I told you this. The, the first, the first concert I ever saw was Paul McCartney. So I'm, I'm in it. I'm, I'm there, man. That. Okay, all right. Okay, I take, I take it back. I, I, I regret yeah. my, my, my last words. Yeah. Can you? It's all. I guess I'll turn the opposite on you. Can you name me five current hip hop artists? <laughs> I can tell you, Kendrick Lamar is at the Super Bowl this weekend. He is one of them. He's one of the five. Good, good let's, job. Let's, let's go for Megan The Stallion. Yeah, true. Let's go for Nicki Minaj. Okay. You're very much so. You're definitely going off of who, who Emma listens to. I, I like that strategy here. That's a smart strategy. Where else am I going to go? I'm going with Lizzo. Okay. She hasn't made new music in a while, but she definitely counts. Okay, and then I'm going to actually go with a Denver artist called Neptune, who's very, very big right now. Um, getting a lot of airplay wow. on 93.3. Mm -hmm. Oh, shit. I've never heard of Neptune. Is that a male or female? It's a male. Um, and the, check the, out. The, the E in Neptune is actually a three. So if you're Googling oh, it, well, look so for it in cool. Spotify. It's N3PTU. Oh, Okay. Have a song called right. Black Black Horse is the is the really catchy song. If you're is, is the uh, the single the single of choice. Um, it is absolutely cool. yeah. It's, I think it's got like nine thousand listens on Spotify. So check it out. Get that number up, guys. Yeah, not a lot, but I, I like it. I, I will check them out. I'm always into the underground and also local artists. That's cool. Um, there we go. Nice. All right. Good job. You passed my you passed my uh, my topical hip hop artist test. So we're we're solid right now. We're flying. At the I can continue to surprise you with my knowledge as I about to turn forty this year. You're like, uh, you're like, uh, you know, um, <laughs> Nat King Cole. Uh, <laughs> oh come on, <laughs> Frank Sinatra. Um, who's that one that you like? Uh, something the knife. Oh, Bobby Darren. I love Bobby Darren. Dude. Bobby Darren. Bobby Darren. That's I, yeah, yeah, I knew it. Yeah. Classic hip hop artists of, of the fifties. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my my era and our British listeners will appreciate this was more the Blur Oasis time. That was that was oh, a yeah. big Brit pop era. Yeah, so. that's uh, of course a classic British feud of of uh, budgeting artists. So I I appreciate that one as well. It was only a good thing for us, the listening audience, too. Exactly, they hated each other. Those two groups. Um, yeah, there was a little anyhow. Bit of 
Yeah, a lot of rivalry. I watched a Netflix show about it, actually. It was pretty interesting. Um, <laughs> it was just like Liam Gallagher calling people horrible words, which is kind of like the brand. Um, Unsurprising, given they're from Manchester. Yeah, shout out, shout out to the Gallagher boys. Um, uh, wonderful. Speaking of Liam and Noel Gallagher, Manchester City atop the Premier League transitions. That's how oh, you I do like it, that. people. I like that. That was a good one. They're noted City fans, so that was that was kind of an easy one for me to do. Um, but yeah, it's it's been an interesting last few days in the Premier League. Having gotten recently came back from a exciting international break in which the United States won mm-hmm. two and lost a, a pretty pretty bad game to Canada um, before trying to give everybody high book for Mia in in Minnesota. So that was that was an exciting round. What did what did Wales have in this international fixture? Did they play any matches? Um in the last international fixture you mean? The the ones that happened a week ago. Um no Wales haven't played you no know, that there was there was yeah there were it was it was only non-European teams that played that's what yeah I was thinking I think it's been a while since Wales have actually played an international game so um I think the next one they have in fact is gonna be the um the playoffs to get into the World Cup and they have those two plum home games um Austria followed by I think it's the winner of Ukraine versus Scotland so if they win those two home games World Cup here we come first time since 1958. That'd be really exciting. Well, up up the uh, up the lads on that one. Uh, Absolutely, that'd be that'd be exciting. Um, wonderful. Well, we have a fun, uh, action-packed episode ahead for you today. We'll be starting off with a review of the transfer window in the Premier League, kind of running through all the transfers of note that took place and how we think uh, any of those transfers will uh, affect their associated teams, and. From there, going into a little bit of chatter about, uh, and I like this segment, Adam, uh, kind of an assessment of the managers that have taken over uh, various clubs throughout the Premier League uh, in the, what, last six to eight weeks or so, uh, and and just kind of judging how they have been performing as managers with, with their new clubs. Uh, from there, going over the finale of AFCON, a wonderful tournament that uh, finished up this past Sunday. And then, of course, 10 and 90 and the EPL trivia. So it'll, it'll be a good one. Before we get yeah, into my... that, Adam, any, anything you want to say to the listeners? Anything uh, you want to just... plug? Um, oh, Lord, no, I have no social media. What are you talking I gonna, about? I was gonna, yeah, I was going to say, I was gonna say <laughs> got anything in your life to plug for the general if I, audience? If, I, if I'm going to plug anything, it would be a new TV show that um, my Ooh. wife and I have been watching recently. Um, have you heard of this one? It's a new Netflix series, and it is called, let me get the name here, The Woman in the House Across the Street from the Girl in the Window. Oh, I heard about this. I, I haven't started watching it, but uh, when I got back from my, my vacation on Sunday, I had a long couch relaxation day, and we were watching a few new shows, and that one popped up. How, how is it? It's a lot of fun. I'm a big Kristen Bell fan, so um, I think she's hilarious in everything that she's done. Ba- mm. Basically, she, she she's the standout character. I know she's the main character. Um, and it kind of reminded me almost a little bit of if you've ever seen Dead to Me. Um, it's a very dark yeah. comedy. Dude, um, I, this, I yeah. really like that show. I did the new, I think the third season of that is coming out soon. Yeah, um, yeah. Miss Christine Applegate actually fell ill recently, so they kind of pushed back the the release date. That's for right. It, but they're, they're talking yeah. about um, summer of this year potentially for the final okay. season. But yeah, this anyway. The show is um, 
limited series. It's um, eight episodes, basically three and a half hours. You can crank the whole thing out and binge watch it. Um, but really, really fun. It's um, it's about a a woman who witnesses or thinks she witnesses a murder across the street from her. And uh, unfortunately, she's very keen into wine and antidepressants and likes to mix the two. So she's unsure as to whether what she witnessed actually happened mm -hmm. or not. It's her story of trying to uncover that. Trying to piece that together. That does sound very similar to Ben to me. So I, I understand the comparison there. Uh, mm -hmm. nice. A fun good one. Plug. Yeah. Check it out. Good, good, good plug. Good plug. Uh, all right, cool. Let's uh, let's get into it before this becomes a, a TV show recap episode. That's not something <laughs> we necessarily need to do. There are, there are other podcasts for that. That's true. That's true. All right, Zach, I promised you a horrific EPL trivia. And here it is. Dead. Listeners, who is the only Premier League player to have lost two different games in which he scored a hat trick. Ooh, that's who a cool the, one. I'll say it one more time. Who is the only EPL player to have lost two different games in which he scored a hat trick? That is wild. Wow. All right. Mm -hmm. I've, I've it's, absolutely it's no notion off the top of my head. Times. That's happened five times? Okay. Five times in the Premier League. And unfortunately for this one individual, it's happened to him twice. That's crazy. Yep. Cool. All right. So transfer window, we promised you we'd kind of go through these. We've been kind of giving snippets as we've gone through the transfer window, but there's a lot to unpack here. Um, we'll go through it alphabetically, if that's okay, Zach. We'll kind of start from, from top to bottom. Um, and we'll start with Arsenal. Uh, an interesting one here, no transfers of note on the incoming side, but quite a few outgoing transfers that I think are worth kind of chatting about here. Uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang went to Barcelona on a free, largely because he's fallen out of favor with uh, Mikel Arteta, and then also because if they were going to sit him on the bench, he was earning north of 300,000 British pounds a week, and it was costing them yeah. a fortune. So they've saved themselves multiple millions. I think that the actual number was about 25 million it cost, saved them over the course of the last year and a half um, of, his, of his deal. So cheaper for them to move him along if they knew that he wasn't going to play. So Aubameyang to Barcelona, Maitland-Niles, serial lonist, went to, I think, West Brom last season. Now has gone mm -hmm. to Roma, um, to Jose Mourinho's Roma, which I thought was quite interesting. And then Sead Kolasinac actually went to Marseille. Those were the most notable transfers. Arsenal, a team trying to push for the top four. There are thereabouts right now. Are you surprised that there wasn't a little bit more investment here on Arsenal's side? Yeah, even if even if you took away those three outgoing transfers, you know, Arsenal has had a, a number of pretty severe injuries in their in their midfield in particular this season. So it was very surprising to not see them bring anybody in and then shipping off three players that over the course of the last, let's say, two seasons, uh, you know, three guys that at times were consistent starters for the team. It's not as if they're selling or, or loaning off these 18 year olds who, who are just cracking and to the first team or the reserves. So very, very surprising for me to not see Arsenal spend any money. I, I suppose, you know, not not getting anything back for Obama Yang, having that be a free probably played a part in that, but certainly surprising for them to really be relying on this young and somewhat, you know, not that deep roster that they are putting out there week after week right now. Yeah, I think I think interesting to note here is uh, the actual totals of incomings and outgoings. One incoming transfer, 15 outgoing transfers, and the one incoming transfer that they brought, I'm blanking on the name of him now, but he's a Colorado Rapid, and they loaned him basically straight back to the Colorado Rapids until oh, the I didn't summer. Say that. 
Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, they they that. also they also brought in Matt Turner, uh, the U.S. international goalkeeper from uh, New England Revolution. That's a that's an interesting one. Kind of uh, a lot of people saying he's going down the same path that Zach Steffen did, going to City and being this perpetual backup to Ederson. Uh, obviously, uh, Aaron Ramsdale has a firm firm grasp on the starting role at Arsenal, but uh, cool to see Matt Turner take take the leap and go to the Premier League as well. Yep, absolutely. And then uh, the other thing of note here is they missed out on Dusan Vlajevic, who went mm-hmm. to Juventus. Um, for a hot minute, he was linked to Newcastle, went to a different team with black and white stripes. Alexander Izek, and then, of course, Bruno as well. Three players that they, notable players that they missed out on in this transfer window. So um, a tough one for Arsenal, I think. Um, it remains to be seen how they perform the rest of the season, but I think they'll regret maybe not strengthening the team in this window. Okay, on, on to Aston Villa then. Um, lots to unpack here. Um, uh, some some really great transfers on the incoming side. Steven Gerrard yeah. like, immediately making an impact here, convincing old friend Philip Coutinho and teammate Philip Coutinho to come on in from Barcelona on loan through the end of the season. Luca Digne uh, from Everton for 25 million in the left back position. And then on the outs at um, Aston Villa, Matt Target really kind of behind um, Dinia in the pecking order now, went on loan to our beloved Newcastle. And then Anwar El Ghazi, a player I think is actually quite underrated um, to Everton on loan as well. Mm-hmm. So the only the only real big transfer on the incoming side at Aston Villa was Luca Dinier. Um Pretty impressive first window for, for Jared, wouldn't you say? Really, really great window. A lot of people, uh, especially I guess before the last two days when, when Newcastle kind of made it, ran riot but a lot of people saying that Aston Villa perhaps had the best transfer window in the Premier League and I think in terms of quality you could still very easily make that case Coutinho and Digne constant starters uh if they are fit and you saw anybody who saw either watch live or watch the highlights of the Aston Villa uh Leeds game today saw that Coutinho is just a guy who can unlock a team you know he he went through a number of pretty tough years at Barcelona but the quality is still so much so there uh with a goal and assist today uh Coutinho had and and just playing you know this this elevated style of football uh the 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 left back moves that they made I I thought was kind of a win-win for both Villa and Newcastle uh Dinier you would say is a comfortable upgrade on Matt Target but Target certainly still a, a Premier League level left back and an improvement to the kind of patchwork that Newcastle was doing there. So I think that was a, a really good piece of business for for Villa to bring in Digne and then also uh, for Newcastle to to get Target um, when he became surplus to requirements. Yeah, I think you you've summed it up really well there. Coutinho two goals in two games. Um, interesting that Luca Digne already went straight back to Goodison and was man of the match and provided an assist in that match and a victory for Villa um, after signing for them. So yeah, I think an impressive window for Aston Villa. What's the what's the ceiling for them? Eleventh in the league right now. Do you think they can make a push for for Europe with a good good end to the season? I, I don't think Europe, but I think top ten is a great year for them, especially getting a new manager uh, partway into the season. That's that's a really successful season. So uh, if they can if they can crack the top half, I think that will be really really positive mark uh, for Villa yeah. this year. Especially the way they started, I I would wholeheartedly agree with that. Okay, mm-hmm. on on to Brentford. Really, only one thing to talk about here: the return to football of Christian Eriksen following the Euros. So Collapsing on the pitch, um, 
Christian Eriksen, basically several leagues in the world would not permit him to play in them. The Premier League is not one of them. Uh, comes into Brentford, um, highest ever shirt sales of any player in Brentford history um, within a day of signing for the team. And certainly I think the most high profile players ever play for Brentford. I think, does this make Brentford everybody's second team now with Ericsson going there? I think so. I think it's it's the same thing that happened with Denmark in, in Euros, you know, when, when Ericsson went down is it was the team that you want to root for, the, the feel-good team, if you will. And I think Brentford already kind of had that feel, you know, this team that uh, punched so far above their weight to get to the Premier League. It was, what was it, 68 years or something since the last time that Brentford had played in the first division. Uh, so already kind of having that, you know, the underdog, uh, the team that you root for as a neutral, and this obviously adds to it. Do you know if Christian Eriksen featured at all today in in the uh, in the game against Manchester City, I am not sure, but I can I can look that up. Brentford on a rough run of form, though, Zach. They are in a rough run of form. I think that's that's a really good point. They started off this season so hot and now have dropped uh, a considerable amount of games. What is it, six or seven in a row? Uh, consecutive matches down to 14th in the table and a little bit of controversy in the international break. I don't know if you saw this, Adam, a video emerging of uh, what appeared to be a pretty intoxicated Ivan Tony at a club in, I believe it was in Spain, uh, being recorded yelling, fuck Brentford uh, on camera, which is, it's never good. It's never good to say that about your club. Uh, I'm not a professional footballer, but that's not not the best look in the world. So it's common sense, um, Zach. It's common sense. Yeah, I, I think that's a tough one. Uh, to answer my question before, Erickson did not feature today. He actually wasn't even on the uh, on the lineup for Brentford, nor was he on the bench. So uh, no, hopefully we do get to see him soon. We don't really need to delve into the question about his quality as a midfielder in the Premier League. Yeah, absolutely. I was just checking as well. No injury. I would think it's just a matter of fitness, right? Getting match fit totally. versus like physically fit. So, um, yeah, yeah, it'd be super exciting to see him make his debut. And Lord, do they need him? Um, five yeah, rows, the only the, the only team in the Premier League right now with five consecutive losses. Lost mm-hmm. 13 games. That's three more than Newcastle have lost. And only worse than uh, the only teams worse than that are Norwich with 14 and Watford with 15 losses on the season. So, not a, not a fantastic run of form for Brentford. I digress. Slipping, to... slip, slipping pretty fast. Yep, certainly falling like a stone. Uh, Brighton, not too much to talk about here. Um, they brought in two players who they subsequently immediately loaned back out. I thought this was quite interesting. Kasper Kozlowski from a team called Pogan Shekin, who are a Polish team. This guy is an 18-year-old midfielder. 8 million, definitely one for the future. And then Dennis Undav from Royal Union saint Giloise, who they got for 6 million, 25-year-old German striker who they immediately loaned back. What's interesting here is Kasper Kozlowski signed from Poland and went to this Belgian team, Royal Union, actually the same team that Dennis Undav was signed for. And I'm like, well, that's very weird. Why would he get loaned back there? What I read was, is the owner of Brighton actually also owns this Royal Union Saint-Guiloise team mm. who are top of the Belgian league right now. Um, are they so really? Wow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They signed this 18-year-old and immediately loaned him out to his other team that he's obviously basically a Brighton feeder club right now. So, Interesting. That is that is fascinating. It's like the uh, 
it's it, it's a it's a much less talked about version of the Red Bull trio between uh, New York, uh, Salzburg, and Leipzig. But that is exactly. that is really fascinating. Damn, good yep. research. Yep. And then on the outs, um, Dan Burns to Newcastle, the big one. Um, not massive for Brighton, I don't think. I think that's one area where they do have a wealth of quality players, right? Yeah. Um, not, not, not in the least their their club captain, right? So just lots of lots of great talent at center back. Burns had a good season for them. Um, I read that he basically has an ingrown toenail right now, which is why he didn't start for Newcastle yesterday. Okay. So unfortunate injury. Well, injury, if we can call it that, for Dan Byrne. But, you know, um, somebody I think that was probably surplus to requirements when push comes to shove. I, I think that's a good point. The one thing I do want to touch on about Brighton is an outgoing member of the club who is not a player, which is Dan Ashworth, uh, the Brighton, I guess now former Brighton director of football, uh, rumored to already be kind of ironing out the final details to take over that same role at Newcastle United. Uh, the reason that Ashworth is somebody worth mentioning is within the kind of world of English football, a hugely highly regarded uh, member of the front office. He is somebody who is actually was actually only at Brighton for about two and a half seasons, uh, but obviously, you know, as we're seeing, built them into a, a really resolute club that is currently sitting at ninth in the Premier League. He recruited uh, their manager who is obviously getting tons of plaudits uh, there. And even maybe more impressive is uh, from before his time at Brighton, working for the English FA and a guy who is largely credited with uh, what was called Project England to, to essentially reconstruct the England national team and put them back on the map, which he did extremely successfully in the hiring of uh, Gareth Southgate and the emphasis on these young players and, and picking out a lot of the guys who are now regulars in the uh, the England national team. So if that deal goes through with Dan Ashworth taking over as director of football at Newcastle, um, which you would think it, it will get done as is he actually broke his contract at Brighton in order to do this. Um, a really, really exciting uh, signing that it will be a little less exciting in terms of the day to day, but something that is building for the future for Newcastle. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm equally as excited here. You know, I'm a big Brighton fan. Um, it, what's what's interesting, I think, is that he's going on gardening leave, supposedly, right now. There's kind of this kind of non-compete period where he can't go sure. to another team. What I read this week is that we're basically already in negotiations with Brighton to buy that out, essentially. Let's throw money at the, um, the problem and say, hey, what's the compensation that you want to kind of forego that non-compete? Um, time period that he has in his contract in leaving Brighton. Sounds like there, there, there's been a lot of videos kind of coming up of um, when Newcastle were at Brighton, him shaking hands with with Eddie Howe um, as well. Before, as, I think it was right as Eddie Howe was getting announced as Newcastle boss. So uh, obviously there's some sort of pre-established relationship there. And I think it can only mean good things for, for Newcastle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really excited to see that go through. The director of football is a position that certainly is integral into kind of the longer term goals that the owners of Newcastle have right now. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. On to, on to Burnley. Um, really just a kind of like for a like switch here. Mm -hmm. If you think about it um, out, obviously Chris Wood to Newcastle for 25 million. We can get into that probably when we talk a bit more about Newcastle, but I want to talk about Wout Weghorst um, from Wolfsburg. Wout Weghorst from Wolfsburg. Um, <laughs> great, 
great name. I think it's it's a shame that he's left Wolfsburg because that was just a perfect club for him with the alliteration there. Twelve yeah, million, yeah. yeah, basically half the cost of Chris Wood and a very impressive debut, including an assist for Jay Rodriguez yesterday. He looks kind of almost like a Peter Crouch-esque player where he's kind of tall and gangly, but he does seem to have a lot of skill with his feet in terms of being able to create chances. Hasn't obviously scored, he's only played in one game so far, but he's inherited the number nine shirt from Chris Wood and Burnley are excited about this guy. I'll, I'll get out and say it right now, a great transfer window for Burnley, even though it's, you know, as you said, only one player in, one player out. I think to be able to make 13 million and get a, a, a very, very similar style striker, obviously Chris Wood has been immensely impressive over his time at Burnley and uh, Veghorst is, is only one game into that career. But if, you, if you're getting a similar product out of him to what you're getting at Wood and, and you have a target man, you have somebody that obviously fits the mold at Burnley uh, to, to make that swap and then and pocket 13 million pounds is, is 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 really good for Burnley. I think I think that's exactly what they need to do. The only question there is, you know, do they need more paces to stay up in the Premier League? Uh, as the the team that they've been putting out week after week has not exactly uh, inspired confidence for for the club that is currently sitting dead bottom of of the Prem. Yeah, that's true. I think with Vikors, the what remains to be seen is the guy's five six years younger than Chris Wood, so certainly no much better longer term prospect here. However, he hasn't done it in the Premier League yet. And I was chatting to this with a few friends earlier on this week. And my point was, I mean, you look at some of the players that have had really great records elsewhere, Sebastian Allaire, right? Great example, right? Had done had done phenomenal things in Europe, came over to West Ham, didn't really set the world alight and then left the Premier League really without having market success there. So Will Weikhorst be a similar type of player? Remains to be seen, but I think I, I understand the level of excitement that Burnley fans would have, right? Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think Chris Wood is necessarily an exciting player. I think he's a dependable player. I think that he's been consistent for them over time, but I don't think anybody's like jumping out of their seat to buy a Wood 9 shirt for Burnley, probably. Weikhorst, you know, they did his intro video on Twitter and basically had like, I think it was a whole like Jurassic Park theme to it. It was, it was a lot of fun. Credit to the social media folks at Burnley there. I really enjoyed that one. Um, but yeah, I think uh, to your point, good, good window for Burnley. I would think all things considered. I think so as well. Uh, I, I guess we can kind of jump through the next two fairly quickly. Chelsea and Crystal Palace, very quiet uh, January transfer windows. I think the thing that's going to be very interesting with Chelsea coming up is in the summer when the new uh, rules are put in place about a maximum number of players that can be loaned out by a single club at one time. Chelsea is going to have to essentially kind of reinvent their entire uh, strategy with youth players coming into the club and immediately being loaned out all over Europe. But uh, Chelsea, a team that I I understand why they didn't really need to make any sort of dramatic changes at this point. Uh, The title race is all but over right now with Manchester City 13 points ahead of Chelsea on the same amount of matches played. Uh, Chelsea right now just kind of fighting to maintain that top four position. Uh, They're nine points ahead, or excuse me, they're eight points ahead of Manchester United in fifth. So in a a nice spot right now. I I don't think there's much that you need to kind of update about that Chelsea side. Uh, And you do have obviously a lot of young players that are are still trying to kind of cement themselves as the, the top options for the club. So made sense for me why they didn't make a ton of moves. 
Crystal Palace, in my opinion, somewhat similar. They've been slipping a little bit recently. Uh, but speaking of Chelsea loanies, Crystal Palace's number one priority has to be signing uh, Connor Gallagher in the summer. Mm-hmm. I think that is mm-hmm. of the utmost importance for them. Uh, a player who is uh, certainly in the top three or four players in the running for young player of the season. Uh, and the guy who has really made that team click right now. Yeah, I'd be surprised if he went to Palace, to be honest. I think that he's probably going to set his sights a little bit higher. Might be one that Newcastle are in for in the window, perhaps. An exciting yeah. young player who I think could certainly get some game time there. We sh- we shall see. But yeah, nothing, no signings or incomings or outgoings of note for either Chelsea or Palace. Plenty to talk about at Everton, though. Not least the uh, new manager, Frank Lampard, at the club. Prior to that, um, Vitaly Mikolenko, we talked about in a previous pod, came in from Dinamo Kiev. He was really the replacement for Luka Dina, who we talked about was an outgoing transfer there to Aston Villa. Um, so they saved some money on that. They brought in Nathan Patterson from Rangers for $16 million. He's a right back. I think I heard Ben Godfrey is now going to be out for a little bit of time. I could see um, Patterson coming in and maybe taking over from Seamus Coleman in the long term. Anwar Algazi, we talked about earlier on in the pod. He came in on loan from Villa. And then these two signings on transfer deadline day. Donny van de Beek from Manchester United on loan through the end of the season. This guy turned down Newcastle earlier in the transfer window. And then somebody else that Newcastle had been linked with for $40 million, Delhi Alley. I am fascinated to hear your take on Everton's transfer window. Pretty insane. It, it kind of sums up Everton in a really nice way, which is just like the money has always been there, always meaning the last like 10 years or so, um, and the, the willingness to spend to spend big. But the questions have always existed around, are they spending money smartly? Alex Awobi was the example a, a few years ago that everybody pointed at uh, spending, what was it, north of 35 million pounds for him, a player who now regularly regularly sits the bench as he did in this past match against Newcastle, didn't even come on. Uh, and Deli Alley, I mean, there's no doubting his quality. He he really did. I remember his first season at Spurs after coming over from MK Dons. I think he was 20 years old and was looking like an absolute superstar in the making. Has, has stumbled quite a bit since then. I, I don't think that you know, in any other market, would he be worth that much money? It's it's clearly that kind of England markup in the Premier mm-hmm. League. Uh, but Everton, I mean, this is what they do. They throw money and they throw players at their problems. And the question is, you know, do they have the coherence and the quality across the board? We certainly saw that they didn't yesterday against Newcastle and a massive 3-1 win for the tune. But uh, I mean, if if you're if you're looking at that team as the the front office of Everton and thinking that a lot of players need to be replaced, like you 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 went out and spent your money, so um, we'll see if any of that will will pay off. But I I don't know. There's nothing that Everton does that I think really inspires confidence right now. No net spend of fifty million, and I don't think they're really that much better off. Forty million for Deli Alley, who who's not getting good game time at Spurs is absolute madness to me. But I digress. Racing, yeah. 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 The, the one question I had, which I think is, is an interesting one. We had Luca Digne go to Aston Villa. Luca Digne, who I think is, for all intents and purposes, one of, if not the best left back in the Premier League currently. Um, Luca Digne. Ooh. Yeah, absolutely. He's top class. He's he good. goes to He's Aston good. Villa. Two weeks later, Rafa Benitez gets fired from the club. 
do you think that Luca Dinier would have stayed if he had known Lampard was coming in several weeks later? Or do you think he would have still kind of, you know, had that had that ship already sailed? I don't know. That's an interesting question. I, I think that Dinier is a bit more of an attacking fullback, which is something that Rafa Benitez is not known for, for preferring. So I... Mm, oof. I think we, we really haven't seen enough of Lampard to know kind of what his system is going to be to determine if, you know, Dinier would have fit in whatever that system might be. In the, in the game yesterday, it was kind of a three-slash, a three-man defense in possession, five-man defense out of possession for Everton, which uh, in theory, the, the five-man defense uh, kind of does fit Dinier. He can play as that wing back and, and replace, uh, it was Andres Townsend was playing that kind of like left midfield, left wing back uh, in in this match. So I, I think it's a good move for Digne either way. You know, he's had his issues at Everton, and I think a, a new club, a fresh start makes sense for him. But, yeah, who knows? That That's an interesting hypothetical that you brought up. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. So um, next two we'll gloss over here as well. Leeds, no signings of note or outgoings of note, and Leicester the same. Um, I guess my only question on these would be, be surprised that Leeds didn't have a little bit more investment here, given the predicament they're in being pulled into the relegation battle. Absolutely. Yeah. Leeds has, has been absolutely, uh, they've, they've been kind of toiling uh, recently in their last few matches. Obviously the loss to Newcastle was a, a pretty, pretty bad indictment. One of the worst defenses in the Premier League and a team that is not scoring in buckets. Uh, something you mentioned before we started recording was, you know, the, the kind of stopgap that Dan James is holding as we wait for Patrick Bamford to get back into fitness. Um, and and so in that sense, like it would have perhaps made sense for them to go after a striker for a short-term fix or anybody who, who can play defense. But uh, I, I was surprised to see Leeds not spend any money. Yep, me too. All right, on to um, our next two teams, Liverpool and Manchester City. Um, interesting here, top two teams in the league. Let's start with Liverpool. Um, on the way out, nothing of note here, only that um, I wanted to mention Nico Williams to Fulham. Nico, the uh, Welsh international understudy to Trent Alexander-Arnold, going to full high-flying Fulham in the championship. Fulham, who seem to be cakewalking their way back to the Premier League by way of winning the championship this season. And then Nat Phillips, somebody that had been linked with Newcastle as well, not going to a Premier League team and going to a championship team in Bournemouth on loan. So two interesting outgoings there. And the one incoming here of note was Luis Diaz from Porto, um, 49 million British pounds, Colombian international winger. The question here for you, Zach, is where does he fit in this Liverpool lineup and secondarily does this signing indicate that we may be seeing the end of Bobby Firmino's career at Liverpool I I think that the the second question is the one that that was really coming to mind for me uh immediately when when I saw this transfer go in I, we we've already seen how uh impressive uh Diogo Jota has been uh somewhat not not replacing Firmino but uh kind of I, I suppose, you know, providing that that sort of parody to him. Um, and, and I I know that I've read I read an article a few months ago about how, but all Firmino, Mane, and Salah all have contracts that end next summer, and none of which none of them have yet signed an extension 
so this does definitely seem to be a contingency plan by Liverpool getting Diaz, uh, a player who, as you said, plays as a winger. Uh, in theory, can I, I think anybody right now could could kind of fill in in that false nine role if if uh, Jurgen Klopp sees that as being effective. Um, and it, it will be interesting to see if Firmino is the only one to leave. I think he probably will leave, but a uh, bigger question in my mind is what happens with Bonnet and what happens with Salon as well. Yep, probably some big paydays if they do decide to stay. Okay, on, on to Manchester City. Um, coming in, Julian Alvarez. Don't know a lot about this guy from River Plate. 14 million British pounds. Argentinian international striker already has several international caps at the ripe old age of 21. So I hear he's a he's a big prospect. And then on the way out, Ferran Torres to Barcelona. I'll start with my two cents here. Ferran Torres to Barcelona, while they made a profit on that transfer, I think this is going to be another Leroy Sané story where City will massively regret this sale. I think he's a quality player, um, and I will miss seeing him, even though it wasn't every week, in the Premier League. I think he's a massively talented guy, um, has done the business for Spain. I've seen him score international hat-tricks for Spain. Um, very sad to see him go. And then I wondered about Julian Alvarez with Aguero leaving the club, were they just really missing that talismanic Argentinian striker who felt the need, they needed to replace him? Yeah, to be honest, I don't know a lot about Alvarez, but uh, trusting that Manchester City did extensive you know, background and, and, and research to determine that he is a player they want on their books. Uh, yeah, Torres is an interesting one. I mean, he had clearly fallen out of uh, favor with Pep Guardiola and uh, it appeared that he was not terribly fond of that, you know, constant rotation and fight for your spot mentality, especially as uh, as he he did show so many glimpses of of really really top form last season when he got his time for Manchester City. I I don't think it's a bad move for Torres uh, if you know if he's being essentially guaranteed a starting place at Barcelona. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll have to see if Manchester city does end up regretting that, or, you know, even if Torres is, even if Torres becomes a, a top quality player, who knows, Manchester city, uh, can very easily still win the league with other top quality players year after year. Yeah, that's true. It's uh it's a nice problem to have, right? <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. so much talent on your team. All right, on to Manchester United. We'll cross to the other half of Manchester now. Um, no incoming transfers, which in itself I thought was quite interesting. Rangnick, obviously not the long-term solve, we think, at Manchester United, so not being backed in the transfer market. But several outgoing ones that are worth touching on. Ahmad Diallo to Rangers on loan. Anthony Martial to Sevilla on loan. And then Donny van de Beek, as we talked about already, to Everton on loan. The one surprise, I think, is that Another name that was not added to that loan list, Jesse Lingard. Were you were you shocked that he uh, ended up staying? And how much do you think that has to do with other off-field issues at Manchester United right now? Uh, I was quite surprised, especially as how how highly you know how highly publicized uh, it was that um, apparently Lingard felt like he had been he had been kind of duped by Manchester United after uh, taking him back from. From West Ham last season and uh, essentially guaranteeing him after that incredible form that he had to end last season that he would be a player that would be featured on that team and um, quite the opposite he has barely seen the pitch 
uh, for Manchester United this year. So I, I think that I was surprised that that didn't happen. Uh, the reports that Newcastle were not only in for him, but being quoted 15 million pounds just to take him on loan for the second half of the season, if that's true. Uh, obviously, a money well not spent by Newcastle, despite the fact that Lingard would be really, really effective on this uh, this Newcastle team. But yeah, Manchester United, it does seem like they... I don't know. I don't know what the game plan is here because they they're in a decent run of form. You know, they haven't lost in their last four, but not looking terribly impressive, dropping points against uh, Burnley just yesterday. Uh, and I, even the wins that Manchester United are putting up, like it, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of coherence to it. And maybe perhaps that that is the entire reason that they didn't go out and buy new players is no no desire to continue to, to kind of add more variables to the already uh, somewhat fractured system that they have right now. Yep, I think yeah, that's a great summary. Appreciate that. Okay, on to our beloved Newcastle. Um, on the outs, Jeff Hendrick to Queens Park Rangers, Elliot Anderson Goodbye. to Bristol Rovers. On the way in, here's where we really need to dig in a little bit here. Newcastle, the highest spending team in all of Europe on an incoming transfer basis during this January transfer window. And I'll list off the signings here. First, Kieran Trippier from Atletico Madrid for 15 million British pounds. Chris Wood from Burnley for 25 million, triggering that release clause. 40 million for Bruno Guimaraes from Lyon. Matt Target on loan from Villa. And then Dan Byrne, who we talked about from Brighton. Um, give us a grade, Zach. Newcastle's transfer activity. So yeah, when when the when the window first closed, you closed, you texted me that asking the same question, and I initially gave them an A. But I I think one really good point that you bring up is with Callum Wilson potentially now it sounds like could be out the entire rest of the season. Eddie Howe in an interview a few days ago said that he has absolutely no timetable in place for for Callum Wilson to come back. Uh, Chris Wood is the only striker not named Dwight Gale on the Newcastle books. And I do think that that is, you know, potential for concern. We were in uh, at the at the end of the uh, window for Hugo Ekatike uh, is perhaps how you pronounce that name. Um, you know, the the young striker, the young French striker uh, from from Lille, uh, who for, no from Red. from Lille or from. Ren. From Ren, um, yep. uh, who apparently turned down Newcastle, saying that he, you know, is not interested in in sitting on the bench right now. And I think that that might have been the issue: is that we were, you know, it's very difficult to get two strikers in in one window, especially you know after you get the first striker, it's difficult to convince somebody else to to come and sit behind that player. So I, I definitely think a great window for Newcastle, maybe a B plus, A minus, but if if goals. If goals run dry, which luckily they didn't yesterday against Everton, uh, there might be some questions asked about the moves that we did not make. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, that sums it up nicely in terms of where I think the opportunities lie for Newcastle and where we might be caught a little bit short. That said, three goals yesterday. Chris Wood not among the goal scorers. So um, in, interesting that we were able to very comfortably beat Everton um, at the end of the day. Um, players I want to talk about a little bit more here. Kieran Trippier. What a player he is. Unbelievable. So I haven't seen a right back that good at Newcastle since Warren Barton. That man is exceptional. Yeah, phenomenal game. Uh, 
he had, I, I guess what you might call one and a half assists. Um, but, or no, 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 I guess definitely just one assist. The, the, uh, the second goal was an assist by uh, Alan St. Maximin, but uh, yeah, a beautiful floated ball uh, for the LaSalle's header and then an absolute stunner of a free kick. Best free kick taker, if we're making historical connections for Trippier, best free kick taker that Newcastle has had since Johan Kabai. I think that's um, an immediate thing that I thought when when Trippier put that free kick away. And yeah, just a, a really, really class right back. That's something yeah. that we have not had in a while. Interesting because um, in the game prior against Leeds, uh, we won the game on a free kick from John Joe Shelby, and that was a perfect setup for either right footer. John Joe could have easily taken that free kick. Trippier stepped up, took the ball off him, and and dispatched it accordingly. So very, very interesting to see that. Um, Chris Wood, you and I, I think, are a bit torn on this one. Uh, he definitely brings a lot to the team. Let's start with the positives. In terms of being able to link play, in terms of winning aerial duels, where I think he's a little bit lacking is just really kind of in that like final third. He's he's not he's not getting as much service as I think he could at the moment. I think he'll get more, but he just doesn't seem like a large threat in the game. He fades out of the games a little bit for me. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know. Just a little bit underwhelmed with him on the field. But is he serving the purpose he needs to in winning those aerial duels and then letting ASM play a little bit more and obviously seeing a bit more from Fraser now too. Yeah, I, I think that the critiques are fair, but let's like it. I don't want to undervalue Chris Wood because we've talked extensively and even before Newcastle was linked up with him, like about how underrated he is as a Premier League striker. I just think the thing is that like he doesn't fit the style that Newcastle is playing right now. You know, we're we you saw against Everton, we are playing a very, you know, wide open, kind of free flowing game and, and playing with pace. St. Maximin, Frazier does have a bit of pace in him as well. Uh, Joe Willick, phenomenal game uh, against mm -hmm. Everton, is another player that really likes to burst forward. And Chris Wood has never been a striker that fits in that system. I mean, Burnley is anything, uh, if not a, a slower team who, who likes to get the ball out wide and, and pump it into the box. So Chris Wood, a, a bit of a panic signing for Newcastle when, when Wilson went down. And I think that he will you know, supply goals and as you said, he, he links up play well. He opens up a lot of space. Uh, do, do those those things that you don't exactly see on the stat sheet, um, which we we saw was was kind of a, a cause for ASM's assist. Um, you know, opening up play and, and giving space to the wingers. But yeah, it's 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 not by any means a a reason to sound the alarm. But I, I think that expectations need to be somewhat tempered for you know the goal count that he might be putting up for Newcastle. Yep, agree. All great points. Um, finally, on Newcastle, Bruno, Bruno G, as he I'm has on so the back of his excited, shirt. So <laughs> excited to see him start. Right, you, you'd have to think he'll probably start on Sunday, right? Against think, against Villa. I think he has to. I think you have to kind of sit him on Coutinho and see see what he can do. Can he break up the play and stop him from being effective in that game? Um, yeah, I, I'm very interested um, to see what he does. I think, you know, he's super excited. The, the crowd were shouting for Bruno um, for large parts of the game before he made a brief cameo at the end of the game. And then uh, one other thing that is not transfer related, um, but is an interesting decision that was made by Eddie Howe in terms of trimming his squad down to 25 players is his decision to 
have Jamal Lewis not make the squad. Um, knowing that you don't have a fit Matt Ritchie right now, you'll never have a fit Paul Dummett again. Um, mm -hmm. And you have Matt Target, who is obviously not eligible to play because he's playing against his parent club this weekend. It, in my eyes, I think you kind of have to almost slot Dan Byrne in as a makeshift left back if he's fit to play in that game and keep the same back two of Cher and LaSalle's given the performance yesterday. Mm, I don't know. I, I think I think it's a good point of like, what do you do at left back? But is Dan Byrne, the six foot seven colossal Dan Byrne, the left back? <laughs> I mean, I think maybe you're, maybe the option better option is you play three at the back you know you play the three center backs and, and kind of completely change up the team uh, obviously Eddie Howe is a manager who's not particularly known for playing that style but it is a really good question of like what do, what do we do in this match is it you know is it even maybe Jacob Murphy getting another kind of spot start at at left back I, I could see that happening actually if, if he does want to maintain the four at the back but yeah it was interesting to see Lewis um, be, be kept out of the 25-man roster. I feel for him. You know, was bought by Newcastle after a really, really great uh, previous year at Norwich and has just never broken into the club. Um, but yeah, interested to see what we do on the weekend in terms of you know who who is coming and where. Absolutely. All right, we'll try and motor through the rest of these here. Um, Norwich and Southampton, no signings of note. Surprising, but unsurprising, I guess, that Norwich didn't make any investment, but Dean, Dean Smith doing well. We'll talk about him um, after the commercial break. Spurs, um, Rodrigo Bentancur coming in from Juventus for $21.5 He's a Uruguayan international midfielder. And Dejan Kulusevski from Juventus also on loan, Swedish international Winger, um, both from Juventus, probably a case of Conte raiding a former team that he played for and managed to bring in those mm -hmm. two players. I'm sure they wouldn't have been coming in otherwise. And then Tanga Ndombele to Leon on loan, so back to Leon, the club that they purchased him from. I was actually quite surprised by Los Celso to Villarreal. I think he's an underrated player as well, somebody I think has done a great job in the past. And then we've talked about Deli Alley. What do you make of this transfer window? First one for Conte. Um, obviously, a, a net profit on the window. Surprised at all? It's kind of an Everton-esque window. Like, it's it's a lot of, of players who play similar ways. And you, you could make an argument. I, I know you said Kubelevsky, uh, excuse me, Kulusevsky, uh, a winger. But essentially five uh, midfielders going in and out of spurs in this window and and that's kind of what service has been known for for the better part of eight to ten years is just a ton of midfield talents behind uh harry kane so it, it wasn't terribly surprising in my mind to see those outgoing moves uh and dombele and los celso have not been in great form really uh, for any sustained period of time at spurs i i am interested to see uh, ben ten kerr a little bit more as he uh, really gets into this club is the only of the uh, the two uh, incoming players who who featured in their loss today against against Southampton. Uh, but yeah, an interesting one for for Conte to try to firm up that midfield and potentially, as I mentioned, kind of like Everton, you know, just fit a lot of different pegs into that hole and see what might fit. Yep, absolutely. Um, all right, so Watford and West Ham. Also two teams that failed to strengthen. Surprised that Watford 
did not bring anyone um, in. I, I guess later in the window was when Roy Hodgson took over the team, but I guess they're banking on the fact that they have enough attacking talent in that team to come good. And obviously with um, Hodgson's ability to instill good defensive mindset in a team, they're, they're hoping that that should be enough. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah. And also getting back uh, Ishmael Asar from the African Cup of Nations is, is a big boost for them. Yeah, although he only uh, missed a, a couple of matches, but yeah, that was a bit surprising with West Ham. Uh, really not super surprised. I mean, if it's not broke, don't fix it. West Ham uh, sitting in fourth in the Premier League table. Uh, of all the teams that aren't Newcastle, I think West Ham is the team that I'm most heavily rooting for this season. It would be so cool to see them get into the Champions League and, and really be pipping one of those big traditional big six clubs for, for a, uh, a UCL spot. Yep, totally agree. Okay, to wrap up the Premier League incomings and outgoings, our final team, Wolves. Hayao Kawabe from Grasshopper Zurich. He's an international um, star for Japan. Um, attacking midfielder, 26 years old. They brought him in for a measly 500,000. In the grand scheme of things, not a lot in terms of outlay. Um, and he's gone straight back on loan to Grasshopper Zurich, which I thought was interesting. But the big talking point here, I think, is Adama Traore to Barcelona on loan. It's a curious story, this one, isn't it, really, with Traore, just in terms of how this has all panned out? What do you, oh, what do you yeah. make of it? Is there, is there something going on behind the scenes, do you think? Such an enigma, right? Like, such a, yeah, like, as you said, such a such a weird kind of last year and a half for, for Traore, taking the, the Premier League by storm in the 2019-2020 uh, season, and then just yeah, like falling off an absolute cliff uh, with Wolves. Kind of some people maybe labeling him a bit of a one-trick pony, uh, despite the the immense talent that he current that he clearly has. But I, I think this is a good move for Wolves, just because of like how little he has featured for them consistently, and also how little effectiveness he has had alone. A good move, you know. You can always try to kind of reassess in the summer, and also sending him back to. Uh, you know the country from which he he comes. He's a he's a Spanish international, and perhaps he'll be able to just be a little bit more comfortable there. Uh, I'll have to turn tune in a bit more to La Liga to see him featuring for Barca. But yeah, just a really really interesting player over the last few seasons in the Premier League. Yep, absolutely, couldn't agree more. All right, so that wraps up our recap of incoming and outgoing transfers this transfer window before we take a quick commercial break zach i'll go ahead and give you your first clue see if this will help with your epl trivia today Uh, again listeners the question was who is the only epl player to have lost two different games in which he scored a hat trick the clue for you zach and this will not be helpful is that these hat tricks (laughs) occurred in 1993 and 1995 Oh wow. Yeah, that that doesn't help at all. I'm gonna go with Matt Letissier early action guess. Oh, um, all right. Okay. Yeah. Early, early okay. guess. Well Matt Letissier certainly certainly played pre two thousands in the Premier League. Remains to be seen played if he's pre, the... Yeah, played pre two thousands, scored a lot of goals, played for Southampton for a while, even when they weren't very good. Like going with Letissier off the bat. Um and we'll we'll see we'll see if 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 anything you say with your last clue straight 
puts me away from that or if nothing helps and I just have to lock <laughs> it in. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Well, the second clue should definitely help then. Um, all right. We'll be back after this quick break. Hello, everyone. We are back with the second half of the False Nines. This is episode 83. And uh, from here, we will uh, get back into some EPL talking points, moving it from players to managers. Uh, Adam, I, I, I really enjoy, uh, I'm, I'm going to enjoy, I think, this, uh, this kind of section where we essentially assess um, the, the performance that certain managers have had since taking over in the Premier League this season. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to talk about seven managers here in this segment, all of which who've taken over their teams since the season started. In other words, there were different managers in place at the beginning of the season. The one person we won't talk about here is Claudio Ranieri, because he has both been and gone from Watford. Um, we'll start with um, really kind of going from top down, I guess, to the Premier League, Manchester United. Ralph Rangnick, um, Certainly not the most popular appointment with Manchester United fans, but look, let's talk about his record so far. Played nine, won five, drawn three, lost one. 18 points from 27. What do you make of Ralph Rangnick's time at Manchester United so far, and how would you grade it, Zach? In terms of a point total, I mean, 18 from 27 isn't bad. One loss in nine games is impressive, but I, I, I don't know. It, it's, a weird, it's a weird person to judge because I don't think he really wants to be managing Manchester United, and I don't necessarily think Manchester United wants him to be managing them either. It, you know, if everything I've read is true, he was hired essentially to, to get him into the place of being the director of football at the end of this season. So in a way, I guess you have to say it's been an impressive time for him, a guy who hasn't managed uh, a football team in a number of years before being brought into Manchester. Uh, but Manchester United is just not, it's not really an exciting team to watch right now. It's not a team that you, you would think kind of has the building blocks uh, for future success. So maybe, maybe we'll go a B with Rangnick so far. Does that sound about fair to you? Yeah, a B is what I gave him as well, and I agree. I think I think what we've noticed is that since he's come in, we're seeing a Manchester United that is just not as proficient in front of goal. That uh, they're not doing a phenomenal job of goal scoring. In fact, if you look back at their performances, um, really on only two occasions since he came in, have Manchester United scored more than one goal in a game. So that's. Uh, nine games, only two games where they've scored more than one goal. You think about the wealth of talent they have in that team. That's pretty shocking. You got Cristiano Ronaldo, Bruno Fernandes in your team, Edson Cavani coming in from the bench, Marcus Rashford, a top striker in there before he was um, dropped from the team. You've also got um, the in incredible talent of Mason Greenwood as well. I mean, like to, to not be as free scoring, especially against teams like Burnley and Newcastle, who they failed to beat. Is, is, is quite surprising to me. So we're seeing a different type of Manchester United now. I think a B is probably about right. Um, it's it's not overly critical, but I think, you know, um, I think I think that he's he's got enough points on the board that I think you have to give a little bit of credit there. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. I think that's a, a fair assessment. Uh, okay, on to a manager that I think a lot of Manchester United fans probably wanted to see come in at their club themselves, Antonio Conte at Spurs. 
11 games in, six wins, three draws, and two losses, a total of 21 points from 33. So four, uh, three points more than Rangnick, um, but in two additional games. Um, what do you think about Conte's time at Spurs so far? I think it's fair to say that he probably inherited a weaker team than Rangnick did at Manchester United with a lot more problems, a non-scoring Harry Kane at the time. Um, what do you make of Conte? I think it's it's been it's been good by Conte. I, I think that you know, eleven games, two losses, one of them coming to Chelsea, the team that uh, you know the team that he used to to manage that has actually had Spurs's number. They've beaten Chelsea has beaten Spurs three times in the last month, which is pretty wild to to say. Had uh, two games in the EFL Cup and then one in the Premier League. But overall, it, it's it's obvious that. Conte, unlike Ramniak, is is uh, a guy that they want to, you know, allow to build this team and and really develop his system for Spurs going forward. So I, I think that it's it's been a B plus, you know, I'm probably not going to go as far as saying an A minus just because there are quite a considerable amount of points dropped there. But overall, you know, tightening up Spurs uh, fairly effectively despite the the loss uh, today against Southampton. Uh, and and you know getting a little bit better play out of Harry Kane. Uh, Kane had a had a really good game today. I thought um, and Son uh, getting a goal and and having a good game as well. So I think that Conte is definitely the guy that they want to have in place there, and and has done a, a fairly solid job so far. Uh, the last thing I'll mention on Tottenham is despite the fact that they're sitting in seventh, they're only four points out of fourth, and they have three games in hand over West Ham. So in theory, if Tottenham wins two of those games, they would be sitting in fourth place uh, in a uh, Champions League position. Which is why I think today losing at home to Southampton was such a massive Huge. loss for them. Huge. I, I agree with you. Yeah. I, I agree that I think Conte is is having a good time at Spurs. I actually had an A minus and I changed it to a B plus after today. <laughs> we already, already graded it. So I think we're very much on the same page there. He's certainly the right man in the long run. The question is, will he be there in the long run? I think Conte himself is not somebody that necessarily stays at club, clubs for a long time. Um, but I think this is a, a project similar to Newcastle in terms of like, you know, you've got some good piece, first pieces there. Um, and there's the potential for this to be a massive, massive team. So well, yeah. we will see on, on Conte, but a B plus for me as well. All right. Um, curious to hear what you think here. Steven Gerrard. Um, for Aston Villa, 11 games in since leaving Rangers for Birmingham, five wins, two draws, and four losses, 17 points from a possible 33. Reminder, Antonio Conte was 21 from 33. Thoughts on Steven Gerrard so far? Yeah, I guess not a lot of consistency if we're going off the, the points total being a, a kind of a a kind of rationale for the grade, but I think I don't know. I I think that Gerard, I would I would give him probably an A minus, maybe maybe a B plus as well. I think that part of what Gerard brings to that team is kind of you know the the name appeal, as you mentioned. Uh, it would be hard to see Philippe Coutinho going there if the manager was still Dean Smith in the January transfer window. And I think that Gerard is definitely inspiring those players. He's a a player that probably a lot of he's a manager that probably a lot of these players uh, kind of model their games after especially 
uh, players like you know Jacob Ramsey in in the center of midfield. So I I think that he has been a really good hire for Villa, and he, he's had some stumbles, but uh, I think they're in a really good place. They're they're bringing in a lot of impressive players, as we mentioned in in the last section. So uh, let's let's go with a B plus. Um, but yeah, I think that that Jared has done a really good job with Villa so far. Yeah, I think uh, I, I share similar sentiment here. I actually went for an A minus in terms of expectations versus reality. I think he's led a really marked turnaround at Villa, just not only from a on field standpoint, but I think just kind of the mentality of the players, right? I think that yeah. him coming in, there's a lot of respect for someone who so recently has been a part of the Premier League and has done so many amazing things at Liverpool, winning the Champions League with them under Benitez. You know, seeing him come in, I think, you know, there's a lot of players probably that idolized Jared growing up. Think about Jacob Ramsey, somebody like that probably was a big Jared fan being an English kid growing up in the UK. Um, so I think that Jared's done a phenomenal job so far and that Villa will continue to rise. And A- minus is what I gave him. I like that. Yeah, I agree. All right. On to, on to Dean Smith at Norwich. Um, not a massively inspiring appointment after Daniel Farka left the club obviously not doing well with Villa at the time nice transition from that 12 games in three wins three draws six losses 12 points from a possible 33 that's five less than Steven Gerrard at Villa what do you think about Dean Smith man if, if you asked me what two weeks ago I would have said it's an F I I I said like I I don't think Dean Smith is a particularly great manager I don't think he was like necessarily the reason that that Villa had quite a lot of success. I think that was far more on Jack Grealish and, and John McGinn than anybody else. Uh, but yeah, now three games unbeaten for for Norwich, uh, actually dropping points today. They had a lead uh, one minute into the game uh, by a Timu Puki goal before they uh, they gave up that goal and and had to settle for a draw. But yeah, it's it's. Three games unbeaten, as I mentioned. They're they're slowly clawing their way, not yet out of the, the relegation zone, but getting a lot closer. Um, so I guess I guess a C that might be fair in my mind. I, I don't think you can go too much higher than that because again, they still are in the relegation zone. But uh three, you know, or seven points from their last nine is is really, really inspired by a team that looked dead and buried about two months ago. Yeah, and that's where my head went to. Um, I actually gave him a B plus. I've been Ooh, really okay. Im impressed with Dean Smith. I think this is the first time we've kind of like had a marked difference between our grades so far. Yeah. I had zero expectations of this guy when he came in. I thought Norwich were fodder for relegation. 48 hours ago, they were out of the bottom three. Um, yeah. They've not only had those two wins in the Premier League where they were fairly free scoring, where they beat Everton. Um, I forget who the other win was against. But what I can tell you is they also went in the cup, in the FA Cup, to a full-strength Wolves team, kept a clean sheet, and won 1-0 in the FA Cup in that game as well midweek last week. I mean, that was that was a phenomenal victory for them. So this is not taking into account that FA Cup game either. So he's led them to two successive victories in the FA Cup, Dean Smith as well, and he's done it with no backing, no incomings, no outgoings. He's starting to get players back and fit Cantwell left the club during the transfer window, didn't bring that one up, but I thought that was an interesting one as well. Somebody that they've just kind of said, you know, they're not going to continue to um, placate his poor form. 
Um, and I think Dean Smith needs a little bit more credit here. So I'm going to give him a B plus. I like it. I didn't realize the FA Cup side of that. That's, that is definitely a uh, reason to give him higher than a C. So I think, I think a B plus all things considered uh, is, is probably a fair grade. All right. Uh, the hometown verdict here, Eddie Howe at Newcastle, 11 games, three wins, four draws, four losses, 13 from 33. So one point more than Dean Smith. What do you think? This is a tough one. This actually is harder than I initially thought it would be to give an, a, a solitary grade to Eddie Howe. I, I think that, you know, we we have still seen issues with the, the defense at Newcastle. We've seen Newcastle throw away leads. We've seen Newcastle kind of crumble in the last 10 minutes as we've seen for the better part of two seasons now. But it's now four games unbeaten, two wins in a row. Uh, obviously, you know, having the amount of money that they have to spend plays a big part in that. I think that any manager would would see a bounce in form if you're you know able to spend 90 million pounds in a month. But I, I think it's what, what you're hearing a lot of players say about the impact that Howe has had that leads me to giving him, uh, I, I would say another, to, to keep the train going on this, another B plus, if not A minus with Newcastle. Uh, clearly has a vision for the club. Uh, you, you hear, I heard Ryan Frazier talk after the game yesterday about how uh, the one-on-one the -on -one management and the kind of tactical awareness that Eddie Howe has uh, has been a a big lift for Newcastle, a little bit of a dig there at, at Steve Bruce and, and what he might not have brought to the club. But I, I think that he embodies a lot of the spirit of the the fans. He's, he's a very animated manager on the sideline and, and seems to be a manager that a lot of these guys enjoy playing for and, and respect, as especially as he is a bit of a younger manager and a former player himself who, who played for Bournemouth for so many years. So I'll give a, a B plus, A minus to Eddie Howe so far. Yeah, I think I think I can totally see where you're coming from there. I, I was a little bit more critical on Howe, and specifically because I think there were some of those draws there that could have been victories um, sure. against Watford, against Norwich, even against Manchester United, where I thought we dominated that game yeah. and probably should have won that game. Um, I think he's left some points on the table this season. Now, would I rather have him in than Steve Bruce? Absolutely. Um, we're seeing a much better brand of football. We're starting to possess the ball a little bit more. He clearly is very well liked and is bringing a much better camaraderie to the team. Um, lots of superlatives I could throw at Eddie Howe for those things. But if we're judging him purely on the on-field performances, 13 points from 33 isn't phenomenal, um, but it's serviceable. You know, when you think about in the, that's 11 games in, um, that's an equal number of games that he has played that Bruce did. Bruce, in that same time period, got five points. He's got 13 points. So we've seen an improvement. Um, but I think a B is probably where I'd, I'd lay my hat there. Yeah, that's fair. I, I would push back a little bit and say that a lot of those points dropped, I, I think, has to be down to the players on the field, especially if you know you, you have center backs not marking guys in, in the final 10 minutes you know, and, and other kind of defensive lapses. Ultimately, you got to trust the players that you're putting out there. Um, but it will be interesting to see, you know, now that we've brought in guys like Dan Byrne, Trippier, Target, like will all three of them be starting sometime soon? You, you'd have to be thinking so. And, and so mm -hmm. I, I think the judgment at the end of the season, if, if Newcastle continues to be one of the worst defenses in the Premier League, a lot more critique could be laid on the door then. 
sounds sounds fair. Okay, so for our last two managers here, no no grade needed because I think it's very early doors here. But wanted to get your perspective on Frank Lampard at Everton and Roy Hodgson at Watford. Let's start with Frank at Everton. Obviously, just a single game in in the Premier League, lost three one at Newcastle. However, he did have a convincing four one home win against Brentford in the FA Cup last weekend, which got a lot of Everton fans excited. Um, Richarlison has looked a more improved player, I think, since Lampard has come in. What are your thoughts on Frank Lampard at Everton in general, Zach? I, I think it's a it's a good hiring in the sense that it will get the fans excited and really kind of try to get them forgetting as quickly as possible about Rafa Benitez and the fact that he at all managed Everton Football Club. So, Again, as you said, too early to judge Lampard. We don't really even know kind of what style he'll be playing as they did have a, a pretty busy January. But I think it's a, a good signing and, and one to appease the fans that had become increasingly restless at Goodison Park. Uh, Roy Hodgson, maybe a little bit less inspiring, but I think a, a, you know, a manager who has been there and done that with relegation scraps. So it, it's a functional hire for Hodgson. Yeah, no, nothing more for me to say on Lampard. I agree with what you said there. On the Hodgson side, I think it's a pretty savvy appointment from them. He he knows what it takes to stay in the yeah. Premier League. It, it actually exactly. made me a little bit concerned um, for Watford's prospects in terms of them being a threat to Newcastle and staying up. Um, and it's interesting now just to look at the league. Everton now only one point ahead of Newcastle. Newcastle in 17th, just outside the relegation spots. Everton in 16th. Leeds on 23 Brentford on 23 right above um, just six points out of the relegation zone right now. I think that the form of some of the bottom four right now has actually improved. And I think basically the conversation for the last several months has been, it's three of four to go down. Um, I don't think that's fair to say anymore. I think that Everton Leeds and Brentford are firmly in this race. Definitely. Absolutely. It's wild to look at the table and, see that Newcastle in 17th, Norwich in 18th, and Burnley in 20th, three teams who have not lost in their last three matches. That's a, a pretty crazy thing to to see, you know, at this period in the season. And, and as you said, Everton free-falling uh, leads, you know, always, always good to give up three to four goals. And, and Brentford is, is in a complete tailspin at the moment. So I agree with you. I, I do think it is maybe a a six or even perhaps a seven club uh, race to the bottom right now. Agree. All right. Um, you want to kind of wrap up our talking points for the week and let us know what happened in the AFCON here today? Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll kind of run through this a bit quickly. Unfortunately, you know, despite the fact that I, I watched an immense amount of the group stage matches in the African Cup of Nations, I uh, was not able to, to really catch as many in the knockout stages uh, due to. Uh, work and and travels, but uh, a really exciting tournament all all around. Just uh, entertaining football, uh, pretty much across the board. Once match day one ended, in which only one of the the match day one matches featured more than one goal. Uh, and one once we got past that, once all the teams seemed to kind of fit in, uh, it became a, a really great tournament to watch. You had a number of underdog stories that the biggest one being marked was Comoros getting out of the group stages, a tiny island nation that most people have never even heard of, getting to the knockout round 
And despite the fact that they had to field their left back at goalkeeper for a knockout round match due to injuries and COVID issues, um, still put up a fight against the home nation of Cameroon. Uh, they they had what I believe to be the goal of the tournament with a 40-yard knuckling free kick that rivaled pretty much anything you've ever seen in the top, top leagues of Europe. Uh, and then from there, a, a few other teams that, that really kind of punched above their weight. Uh, you had Equatorial Guinea also getting out of the group stages. On the other side, the defending champions, Algeria, coming in fourth in their group, not even coming close to making it uh, into the knockout rounds, a massive failure for the North African nation. Uh, and then once we got down the line, uh, the, the home nation of Cameroon playing a, a very Leeds-style football, scoring more than their opponent. Uh, eventually, that, that kind of came to an end in the semifinal against Egypt. And then in the final, uh, my pick pre-tournament of Senegal, uh, getting there and completing the job in, in a final match that, despite the fact that it, it was nil-nil and went to penalties, a really, really entertaining game. One of, one of those matches for the football purists who can watch 90 minutes of, of scoreless football and be very entertained. Senegal really dominated that match. You had Sadio Mane miss an early penalty. It was actually, it was pretty pretty interesting to see the, the penalty was given and Mane stepped up and, and you saw his uh, club teammate Salah go to the goalkeeper, uh, Gabaski, the, the Egyptian goalkeeper, and, and whisper something in his ear. Uh, and then the goalkeeper promptly saving the penalty by Mane. So a little bit of kind of insider knowledge that Salah probably gave his keeper there. Uh, and then Senegal winning in penalties, Mane making up for the miss by by scoring the, the winner. Uh, a really, really great game and uh, amazing to see Senegal lift their first African Cup. So yeah, really I, overall super, super fun to watch. Got to know a lot of teams and a lot of players that I was completely unfamiliar with. Um, Gaboski, the the keeper for ever or for Egypt that I just mentioned, actually didn't play until the round of 16, and then was arguably the the best player in the tournament from then on. Really stood on his head in that final match, and was actually given man of the match despite Egypt losing, which is a pretty big credit to to him. So, uh, yeah, Af Afcon, really excited uh, for the next instance. It, it was really really fun to watch. Hey, good stuff. The, the one thing I would add is that there seemed to be a lot of criticism of the Egyptian coach for the order in which he picked his penalty takers in that Mo Salah yeah. actually didn't take a penalty because he was due up to be fifth and it never got around to him. They'd already lost by the time um, that happened. So um, I don't know what's your, what's, your, what's, your, what's your take on that one? I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing, right? But do, do you <laughs> put your best penalty takers first or do you try and hold them out to the end and risk them so, maybe not getting to take one i i've always i've actually always thought that your best penalty taker it, and it, it's really only in the case where you have a guy who is definitively your best penalty taker uh which you know you would have to assume salah is for egypt i think mm -hmm. the best guy should always go second or fourth and the reason for that is i i think that you know, you, you go into a penalty shootout and the expectation has to be that, that the player is going to score, right? Like it's it's a lot harder to save a penalty than it is to, to score a penalty in theory. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I, I think that I think that second is a good place to put your best guy because it it, it at that point, you know, your team is uh, 
uh, is always going to be still in it. And ideally, you've made the first penalty. It's putting pressure on the other team. Uh, and putting a guy fourth is exactly applying to what you just said. You know, you're you're preventing the situation in which you get to the fifth penalty and, and the game's already over. Uh, and in this situation that you're winning, uh, it's it's at that point, once once the, the fourth penalty goes in, it's it's sudden death at, at that juncture. So it's really, again, dialing up the pressure as much as possible. So I do think that it is a mistake uh, to put Salah fifth. Um, and yeah, fair criticism. Yep. I, for, for me, I think you just lead with your strongest penalty takers right off you, the bat. You, you, okay. You, 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 you assume that it's not going to go um, the full duration and that there'll be some sort of miss or save at some point. It doesn't always happen as we've seen. Um, but I, I feel like you start with your strongest ones and then you kind of get to your goalkeeper last, obviously, when you're 11th penalty taker. Yeah, unless you're Bayern Munich or the German national team and then you send up Manny Neuer as quickly as you can. That's right. Absolutely. Classic. Um, all right. On to 10 and 90 then before we wrap up the podcast today. Would you like to go first or second, Zach? Um, I've just been talking for a considerable amount of time, so I'll, I'll take a breath and let you go first here. Um, you will not take as much of a breath as you thought, Zach, because oh. this section for you in 10 and 90 today is all about Zach's opinions. So I want to hear Ooh. your thoughts on all some right. statements I'm going to make and questions I'm going to make or questions I'm going to ask, I should say. I'd like to hear what you have to say about them. I'll start with question sure. number one here. Does Miggy Almiron leave Newcastle at the end of the season? Yes, absolutely. And where do you think Miggy goes next? Uh, Spain, maybe. I, I Obviously, a Spanish-speaking player. I, I think his game fits the, the Spanish league as well. He's not you know, the, the biggest probably criticism or critique of him during his time at Newcastle has been somewhat of a lack of physicality. And I, I think that, you know, his, his game being a, a, a dribbler, a speed player, and, and somebody who will kind of go between the lines, it, it fits the Spanish thing. So I do think he lives in the summer regardless. Okay. Number two, which Birmingham team finishes higher in the Premier League this season, Villa or Wolves? Mm. Which Birmingham team? Wait, Wolves? Isn't Wolverhampton its own city? Wolverhampton is basically like a suburb of Birmingham. Is it okay? Yeah, it's, like... it's a local. It's a local derby. So Birmingham versus uh, Villa versus Wolves is yeah, West Midlands. Uh, I'd say, I'd say Wolves seven points above Villa right now. They have the second best defense in the Premier League, uh, not scoring at all, but. You know, it seems as though they know exactly what they're doing. So I think Wolves will finish higher. Okay. All right. Question three. Outside of Chelsea, which London team finishes highest in the Premier League this season? Uh, West Ham United. Above Spurs and Arsenal? They they hold on to fourth, man. I they're, They are the team that everyone is rooting for, and I think that they do it. All right. Where will Jesse Lingard be playing his football next season? Mm, West Ham United. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's ride on the West Ham train. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would love to see him go back to West Ham. I, I think that he had the best form, arguably, in his entire career in the, what, four months that he played there. Uh, he fits David Moyes' style really well. Uh, is that type of player that uh, is a speedster but is not entirely reliant on just being a counterattack merchant? Uh, 
Uh, so yeah, would love to see would love to see Lindard go back to West Ham. And I, I think actually those questions you asked fit together nicely because if West Ham makes the Champions League, they obviously have much deeper pockets and, and can afford the elevated fee that Manchester United will obviously ask for. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, last question. Does West Ham Brendan... United. <laughs> no, nope. can't answer, can't answer that for this one. Okay, go does, ahead. <laughs> does Brendan Rogers leave Leicester at the end of the season? Ooh, that's an interesting one. I wonder what his contract situation is. Uh, because... I, don't, I don't know when it's up. I purely asked this based on league position and performance this season comparative to other seasons. There's a lot of goodwill towards him, obviously. He's very well yeah. liked. But is it too much of a drop off this season that they maybe find some sort of mutual agreement? Mm, I don't think so. I think he stays. I, I think that you know he is a very well respected manager. He's quite well liked, I would have supposed, by by the fans. And, and we we've chatted about this a little bit before. Like Leicester has had a brutal run of injuries this season to a number of their major players. So I, I think that you know with a fully fit team and Leicester, a, a club that is certainly willing to invest uh, i think that if, if they're able to hold on to a lot of their main pieces going into next season they get uh, all the players back healthy that they need uh, i think that i think that that you know rogers can get them back to being a, a top eight or so club in the prem got it all right so i was curious to hear your thoughts on that summer of 2025 yeah. is the answer to that question by the way when okay the yeah were. in that in that case i don't think there's any chance he lives this summer all right Final question for you then, Zach. Pronounce this Welsh word for me. H-W-Y-L. Hill. It's Hoyle. Hoyle? Mm. Hoyle. Damn. Are W's O's? Is that how Welsh works? Is that something I should have caught on to at this point? It's the W-Y was the oi, oi. W, W-Y, so, so, okay. So W's in that, in, they, they serve a kind of O, a pseudo-O type situation going on there. Depending on the letter they're followed by, but yes, in this instance. Hmm. I should yep. study Walshmore because I know that I have to do this every couple of weeks. But okay, that's a good one. Uh, but it means goodbye. Yeah, and good right. goodbye to your ten and ninety questions for today. Are we are we not doing them? Well, that's what they are. What? You're saying goodbye because you finished them. Oh, oh! I thought you meant the ones that I was going to ask you, and I was like, "All right, we can we can end the podcast <laughs> here." I guess <laughs> that was really no. confusing to me. <laughs> you know, you're good. You can you can certainly ask me questions. I understand. All right, I'll make it quick then, because clearly you you want to you want to get out of here. Um, uh, all right, I I do have a theme for okay. for once. Uh, my my theme today is questions that are in some way or form related to the five players that Newcastle bought in a transfer window this Ooh. January. I like this. Let's go. Cool. All right. Question number one. Who was Kieran Trippier's first club? Mm, I know he played for Burnley mm-hmm. when Howe was there. There's probably a team before it, but Burnley is my best educated guess. 
turned Trippier, a native of Manchester and came up through the Manchester City Academy, actually never made a league appearance for the senior club, but technically Manchester City is the answer. Okay. All right. I, I had heard that before, but wasn't in my brain. So there you go. Uh, okay. Uh, number two, this question relating to Chris Wood. How many Kiwis have ever played in the Premier League? <laughs> I'm giving you no numbers on either side. This is horrific. Um, well, if you're giving me nothing on either side, I'm just going to go for one. I'm going to say Chris Wood is the only one. That is absolutely not true. <laughs> Chris Wood is not <laughs> the only the only Kiwi. Uh, the answer is six. Um, I was going to ask if you can name me any other ones, but clearly, <laughs> clearly that is enough. I've got nothing. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. The the two. So when I I saw this article, there were only two names that I recognized. Uh, Ryan Nelson. Okay. Yeah. Didn't know he was. And Kiwi. And another player that actually had a had a long spell in the Premier League. Uh, former West Ham center back Winston Reid. Oh yeah, I remember Winston Reed. Okay, I also didn't know he was a New Zealander, but yeah, there you go. I, I certainly have heard of him. Who who were the other there three? Out of curiosity, there were three other guys who played in the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. <laughs> yeah, there, there it is. Um, okay, cool. Question number three: Who was Matt Target's first club? And unlike Kieran Trippier, he made quite a few appearances for this club. Who? Um, I want to say that he, before Villa, was at Fulham, and I will go for Fulham. Okay, not a bad guess. It's actually Southampton. Oh, shit, I did know that, because he's a Southampton fan. I saw that. Mm -hmm. He is, yeah, and he, uh, he was there until, I believe, 2018, when he went to Aston Villa. All right, I'm doing terrible. 0 for 3. Let's do it. I'm, I'm, I'm never getting this Bruno question wrong. Come on, hit me. All right, well, the Bruno question is fifth. You'll probably get it wrong because it's not a great question. But uh, <laughs> before, we get, before, before we get to there, I have a really, really specific question regarding Newcastle native Dan Byrne. Uh, oh. And so, Adam, let me ask you this. Uh, Dan Byrne came up at through the Newcastle Academy until being cut at, I believe, age 11. Uh, at age 16, though, Dan Byrne began, uh, or Dan Byrne was signed by a scout of Darlington who saw him playing for Blythe Spartans and signed him to a contract. However, Blythe Spartans, as you might know, are not a professional football team. So at this time, Dan Byrne was working a nine to five job with football on the side. What company in England was he working a nine-to-five job for? Oh, my God. This is a horrific question. And I'll give you a clue. It's a supermarket. (laughs) I was about to say, I bet it's something like a supermarket. All right, we're going to go for Tesco's. It's not Tesco's, the only supermarket that I've ever heard of. Asda. It is as the supermarket. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. I'm getting getting yeah, the point for that. You get something there. Yeah, you get something there. Yeah. The uh, I would have to assume that the six foot seven Dan Byrne was stocking shelves at Asda. The top shelves without a stepladder. Of course, of course. Yep. Um, okay. Now on to question number five for Bruno Guimarães or however you pronounce that last name. 
Um, with what, so, so Adam, as you might know, uh, Brazilians have many different, uh, I don't know if it's even called last names, but uh, a lot of, a lot of names. Uh, so for example, uh, Neymar is, I think his full name is like Neymar dos Santos, something else, uh, you know, there is known uh, around, it is known for, for Brazilians to, to be full of many, many names in their name. So I'll ask you this, Adam, uh, with which London-based fellow Brazilian player in the Premier League does Bruno share a last name? London-based Brazilian player. I can think of three. This is one of the stupider can... questions I've asked you recently. I can think of Thiago Silva at Chelsea. Okay. I can think of Gabriel at Arsenal. And I can think of Lucas Mora as Spurs. Is it one of those three? It is. Ooh. All right. Let's go with Mora. Very good. It is Lucas Mora. Well done. <laughs> that was a complete guess, by the way. I yeah. did know all His... three were Brazilian, but I had no reason to go one versus the other. Yeah, his so his full name is uh, let me read it out to you. Make sure I have all my pronunciations down. Is Bruno Guimarães Rodriguez Mora? All right, there you go. I, I think is. I read one time in kind of Spanish and Portuguese culture. A lot of that is they take the mother's maiden name and they kind of add it on generation after generation, which is why they have so many middle or last names. There you go. The more you know. There you go. All right, let's wrap up this pod here today with some EPL trivia. Okay, let's see if this actually helps you. <laughs> You're going to like this one, I think. Who is the only Premier League player to have lost two different games in which he scored a hat trick? My clue midway through the pod was these hat tricks occurred in 1993 and 1995. And because I didn't think you were going to get it, Zach, clue number two was this player is a Southampton legend. No way. <laughs> <laughs> and is still the most prolific penalty taker in Premier League history with a 98% conversion rate, 54 out of 55. Of course, the answer is Matt Letizia. I am immensely proud of myself right now. <laughs> I am That's too. It's an incredible shot in the dark. Remind, remind our listeners, uh, these hat tricks occurred in 1993 and 1995. What year were you born, Zach? I was born in 1995, so I might have seen the second one from from my my hospital bed as my dad definitely turned on the Southampton game. <laughs> Fantastic! I really like the question. I, it was happened so long ago that I was fairly confident, which is why I was being so very specific on the clues. But then you got it midway through the pod, and I was like, "Dang it!" <laughs> like, wow, that was that was crazy. Yeah, damn. All right, hell yeah, that's that's awesome. That's that's really funny. I wonder how many of those six goals were penalties, as 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 you mentioned, he is you know the penalty I, merchant. I don't know. Um, I don't. I didn't dive into the article that much, but I found an article that named the five. It hasn't happened. I want to say it hasn't happened for like nineteen seasons that somebody scored a hat trick sure. and lost. It's been a while. Um, so, that's wild. Yeah, yeah. Fun fact. That's, that's crazy. Wow. Yeah. How mad, how mad must he have? Like he goes to the locker room after that game and he must just be like, 
my defense can like are you guys fucking kidding me like just don't <laughs> let <up> four goals <laughs> yeah ra random fact here um it wasn't the dell where um southampton used to play but st mary's is one of i think probably five or six premier league grounds where i've seen a game oh nice hmm. yep that is a fun fact yep did go down to southampton actually went down with a friend of mine um who I used to work with out in wales uh, his name's adrian and he is originally from Romania. And Stabucarest played against Southampton in a UEFA Cup game. And I saw Southampton wow. beat Stauer in yeah, in the UEFA Cup. Fun one. That is that is really cool. I wonder if that's the only time a Romanian club has visited the south coast of England. Probably. Could well be. I don't think they're very good anymore, so sadly. But I do have a Stabucarest yeah. scarf to my name. That is another great fact. Wow. What a, what a great way to end this episode of the False Nines podcast, episode 83 in the books. Uh, we'll be back to you in a couple of weeks on a biweekly basis for, for more chatter about the Premier League. Uh, but for now, Adam. Footy. <laughs> Peace.